And welcome back to another episode of the Hungry Takes podcast live on a Thursday night with Joe and Matt. Matt, the weather's a lot better now in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Thankfully, it's September 1st and we're on the dawn of another college football season. Yeah, it's coming quick, right? I mean, uh, here we are actually tonight. We got Pittsburgh and West Virginia. So, I mean, it's football season again. It's coming. It's coming. Um, and, you know, excited to talk about that tonight on the show. Um, I think this is going to be a cool uh, stream of consciousness episode, uh, hitting maybe some of the timely sports headlines of the day. Um, getting your thoughts, of course, on the blockbuster um, Donovan Mitchell trade and uh, Serena Williams among stories with uh, with college football. And I mean, from the top, Matt, I guess I'll start out with how about Serena Williams and her uh, storybook start to the U.S. Open? Yeah, I mean, I think it's incredible. You know that. I'm, I'm always rooted uh, for Serena Williams. I think she's probably one of the greatest athletes among any sport. And so very cool to uh, see her success right now. I don't know how far she's going to make it in all actuality, but you know what? Right now it's a feel-good story, and I say keep going. At this point, I would be surprised if she does not win. Um, I kind of just have a gut feeling that she's going to go all the way. Um, you know, in her uh, penultimate last hurrah, um, projectedly in uh, tennis, not just the U.S. Open. Um, you know, I know that some there's been some speculation maybe she comes back at some point in the future, but I, I do feel like the tea leaves are seeming, seeming, uh, seeming to indicate more and more that this is going to be the last run. Yeah, I, I think so. And it kind of lends itself to a bigger conversation. Something I was actually thinking about as I was watching her the other day was just that, you know, tennis – has not really had a face for a long time, right? And it's something when we were growing up, it always had to face Venus and Serena Williams without question, right? You had Pete Sampras, Andre Agassi, like you had guys, Steffi Graf and ladies, uh, that really were the face of tennis, and you don't have it anymore. And a great example of that is Naomi Osaka, who got absolutely destroyed in her first-round match. And that, that was just something that immediately kind of took me when I saw that Osaka got eliminated. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and a few thoughts there, uh, building off of that point. You look at tennis in the United States, there just have not been really any male tennis players that have won uh, major championships over the last 20 years. Um, a friend was telling me recently, I think Andy Roddick winning the U.S. Open like 20 years ago was the last American man to win a uh, Grand Slam championship. And Serena Williams, because of that, you know, on the female side and just with tennis in general in the United States, she's been the face of tennis for Americans because the sport has kind of been dominated by the big three of uh, Djokovic, of uh, um, Nadal, and Federer. Yeah, it really has. You know, I mean, outside of those guys – I guess you would call it parody. I don't know what you would call it, right? I just think, you know, and you've seen Nadal and Federer and, and those guys kind of fade out over the last few years. But I think it's time that tennis 
kind of reestablish itself and really get a face of the sport. I think a few years ago we thought it was going to be Coco Groff or, or whatever her name is. It seems like, no, that, that's probably not what it's going to be. And so, yeah, it would be nice to see uh, someone kind of take the reins from Nadal and Federer, uh, whether it's a, a man or a woman. Well, interestingly, um, you know, I think we sometimes forget that Venus Williams is still playing too. Um, I think she's actually older than Serena, if I'm not mistaken. And they're participating, I believe, tonight in a doubles matchup, which just floored me that they're both, you know, doing uh, both singles and doubles still. Yeah, and, and so she is older by a few years, right? Because uh, the world went Venus crazy first, and then you had Serena come onto the scene, and then after that, it was it was done, right? It became all Serena from that point on. Uh, but you know. Uh, Venus, no one talks about it like we talk about Serena, but Venus is out there still competing, uh, you know, still vying for championships. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, it looks like she'll continue to play, but, you know, obviously fascinated right now with the, the top news story as far as Serena and how she fares, you know, as we head into uh, Labor Day weekend and seeing if she can keep on this run. Uh, Matt, before we get into football, though, I do have to get your take on that NBA blockbuster story with uh, Donovan Mitchell uh, being sent from the Jazz, who are basically pulling an Oklahoma City Thunder in many ways, just cleaning house, uh, adding up draft capital and young assets. And they've sent Mitchell to the Cavaliers. And so now the Cavaliers, in many people's minds, I think, are uh, – cementing themselves as a serious contender in the East. Yeah, you know, so I'll actually, I'll let you kind of give your two cents on it or your thoughts on it, because to me, it is extremely easy to see what's going on here. Yeah, so I think that first, I want to concentrate on the disappointment of the Jazz. I really think that their franchise and their fans are going to look back on this for a long time is a huge missed opportunity the last five years to not win a championship with the nucleus of Gobert, of Mitchell, and then also just the great players off the bench like Jordan Clarkson. I mean, what a luxury to have him as a six-man. He can almost score 20 points a game if he wanted to. And it just kind of fell apart with this team. Uh, Mitchell and Gobert apparently did not get along, and they were not able to uh, go deep enough in the playoffs. And then if you're the Cavaliers, I think this moves, move makes sense, you know, from the uh, standpoint that you're trying to uh, get up to the top of the East, compete with the Celtics and Heat. But it is uh, somewhat of a gamble. I always get nervous when you give away that many players and when you um, go out and put all of your eggs in that one basket for one player. Like, here's what, what I liken it to. I said that, if you're the Jazz, you're pulling in Oklahoma City. If you're the Cavaliers, you're kind of going all in like the Clippers did with Paul George. Yeah, so, so let me start with the Jazz because I think you are spot on with that. I think the Jazz, for whatever reason, right, a lot of stuff happens in those locker rooms that we're not privy to. They missed an absolute golden opportunity. I mean, they had a roster and a core that was absolutely unparalleled and quite honestly, Joe, probably should have won one, if not two championships, right? And so 
I see them moving Donovan Mitchell uh, in kind of their current state as just a huge underachievement from what they should have accomplished, right? Yeah. So, so let me put that out there. Would you would you agree with that statement? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's um, one of the more disappointing misses in NBA history uh, since this franchise has never won a title. And, and I agree with that. I think the other side of it is who are you going to get to go to Utah, right? Like, you know, the, the demographics of Utah, the, what's there, the conservative lifestyle that, that is in uh, Salt Lake City with the, the Mormon religion, like it's a small market. Me and you talk about that all the time on our show. Who exactly are you going to get big name to go to Salt Lake City and play basketball outside of Carl Malone and John Stockton, who I will add both love a small market and no attention? Mm-hmm. Right, and you had the best teams the last few years that you had had since that era, and it was because you finally had you know two superstar caliber players again. Exactly. So that's the Utah Jazz piece, and I think anything other than calling it an utter failure would just be kind of fooling yourself. All right, so then let's talk the Cleveland Cavs piece now. I have not seen – I saw the trade come through on my phone. I have not read what all was given up for this trade. But to me, it is extremely simple what's going on here. We are going to load the roster because old Mr. LeBron James is coming back in about one to two years to retire. And we want one more run at a championship and the ability to draft Bronny James. I think that's what's going on here. No, that's the compelling point, and that's not something I had thought about, but it makes so much sense because they gave up, my understanding, I, I can't remember the entire entire haul for the Jazz, but my understanding, they gave up at least three future first-round draft picks um, and I think some second-round picks and, like, some rights to pick swap in future years as well. So, you know, a, a king's ransom, if you will. And then also – they gave up uh, to the Jazz, I think, Colin Sexton, uh, Laurie Markinen, and maybe one other player. And then um, you have uh, Mitchell joining um, Darius Garland in Cleveland, uh, Jarrett Allen, and, you know, their young core of players. Because I think last year they were really – oh, Evan Mobley as well. You know, they, they were known for having one of the, you know, great young rosters in the NBA. So – Here's what you just said. They gave up Lori Markkinen, who's been traded now three times, I want to say. This is either the third or fourth time. They gave up Colin Sexton, who they moved up to draft and did not pan out, and then a rookie that no one's ever heard of, right? But yet now their core became, becomes Evan Mobley, rookie of the year runner-up, Darius Garland, who uh, I think was an all-star maybe. I may be wrong yeah, on that. Yeah, he was. He was. And then Jared Allen, who is a cornerstone big man, quote-unquote, around that, uh, because he is a big man in today's game and has shown production not only in Cleveland but in Brooklyn. And now you bring in Donovan Mitchell, who's a point guard. Huh. So what's remaining? Oh, maybe a small forward shooting guard? Oh, I wonder if LeBron James can fit that role. And, and this just kind of, to me, continues the same old story that we've seen from LeBron both times previously or every time he leaves Cleveland. You know, we talk about him joining these super teams, 
but conveniently, every time he leaves Cleveland, he knows they're going to get really bad for about four years. They're going to load up on assets, and then they can either draft great young superstars or trade for players like a Kevin Love or now a Donovan Mitchell, and it just sets it up perfectly for him to join uh, forces. Exactly, and, and that is my only point is, you know, nothing bad on LeBron James, nothing bad on Cleveland. I'm simply saying if you read the tea leaves exactly like you said, Joe, this is a masterful setup to bring LeBron James home uh, for one more run uh, at a championship and then ultimately to draft Bronny James. Well, it's the perfect way to build a superstar team, the only way, with a small market team. You know, this is something the Jazz maybe could learn a lesson from. I guess the only way it's going to work if you have a situation with a player like LeBron that's going to leave and then come back. But if you can do that, you know, with the right player, it's a brilliant way to build a nucleus. You know where Utah messed up? And it was their one hope, Joe. It was truly their one hope outside of the fact that it just so happened Carl Malone and John Stockton overlapped the Michael Jordan era. Otherwise, they would have numerous championships, right? Yeah. There, the, the sad part is they had one hope, and that was Jimmer Fredette, right, from BYU. And he never panned out in the NBA. They did not draft him. He would have been an, a superstar caliber player that would have been happy uh, being in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And then also for the state of Utah, you know, with BYU fans, they definitely had a great chance to win an NCAA national championship in college when he was there. And, you know, they had a, a player get suspended and just did not work out in the NCAA tournament, unfortunately. Yeah. So, you know, it is a, it's a hard road that the Jazz have walked. Uh, I feel like their best opportunity outside of Carmelo and John Stockton were the last, I'd call it, five seasons uh, with Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, uh, 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 the, the point guard that they traded for. Mike Conley. Uh, from, yeah, Mike Conley. Uh, but they moved on past that. And so now they are kind of in the middle of a rebuilding phase. Mm-hmm. They are, Matt. Absolutely. And a team that was in a rebuilding phase for a while – and is now hoping to win in the NFLs, of course, the Denver Broncos. I know we both have some skepticism about Russell Wilson being traded to the Broncos and how that works out in a loaded division of the AFC West with the likes of the Chiefs, with the likes of the Chargers, and the Raiders now with Devontae Adams. But the big NFL story today, Matt, as we're a week away from the start of the NFL season, was the contract extension signed by Russell Wilson for five years? Was it, I think, $245 million, $165 million guaranteed, the third richest contract in NFL history? Joe, I, I don't even know where to start with this. Like, like we've talked about what Russell Wilson is right now. I think there's some confusion about uh, his potential. But man, this is absolutely crazy joke yeah I, I did not expect it i honestly did not realize that he was this close to needing a contract extension i just assumed that he was still locked into a few more years from his previous deal with seattle i mean i guess if you're denver you had to lock him up to a big contract because you gave up so much to get him at this point it would be just a huge blunder if you only had him for like a one or two year rental and then he decided to go elsewhere but 
the big risk is, you know, will it pan out? And even if it pans out, Matt, I mean, even if he plays well, I mean, you might have a team that's like eight and nine as far as like your record just because the division's so tough. Right. I, I, two thoughts there. And I'll, I'll hit the one you just, uh, you just said, because it's a good place to start is even in their most wildly successful, you know, uh, season, their, their ceiling is limited by how cutthroat the AFC is, right? So that's the first thought is a good season in the AFC is going to be going 8-8, eight and eight, all right, or 9-8, or and eight, you know? And so you, you kind of look at that as the ceiling. And then the second piece I'd throw out, Joe, is just to say it must be amazing to be a an athlete, right, one of these mega athletes, because they are paying a king's ransom for a guy – from 10 years ago, right? Like Russell Wilson has not been relevant for 10 years and you're literally paying for the production of his rookie sophomore junior season because the last few years, Russell Wilson's been average. Yeah, it's definitely um, a substantial risk. And I think that you look at the Seahawks, they've been a franchise, you know, that has made a lot of good decisions for the most part the last 10 years, building a championship team and a contender year in and year out. So the fact that they were willing to part ways with him, you know, that makes you wonder, do they kind of know maybe that uh, his best years are behind him? I I don't know. Um, I I could see him having some good years in Denver, but at the same time, you know, to our overall point, I mean, I'll put it this way. The Cincinnati Bengals are the defending AFC champions. I feel like I could make an argument where they may not even be the a playoff team this year as loaded as the AFC is. It's just on that kind of level. It is. And, you know, I, I just literally – we could do a whole show on Russell Wilson in general. I think he's a great player. I just don't think it's going to pan out the way – that the Denver Broncos want one, like we said, the division. I think secondly, you know, just paying too much for a guy that's kind of borderline has been. We'll see what he brings to the table this year. And then I think finally, Joe, they bring in the coach from Green Bay. You know, even as much as I hate Aaron Rodgers, you know, probably one of the most accurate passers to ever play. Well, that's not Russell Wilson, all right? Like. So I wonder how that's going to play out. If the head coach coming from Green Bay is used to a quarterback that has pinpoint accuracy and and all this uh, amazing arm talent, you're not necessarily getting that with Russell Wilson. So it's going to be an interesting year, and and we're going to see what this $245 million deal gets them. We we really will. And then the other interesting component is that conveniently Denver opens the season against Seattle. And so you'll see Russell Wilson against his former team week one. So that's the quickest reunion I think I've ever heard of as far as a sports reunion. Yeah, absolutely. So, Matt, um, next, I want to talk some college football with you. And, you know, we had week zero last week. This week, the real games start, honestly. I know we had Nebraska-Northwestern, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, you have the ranked teams. You have everybody pretty much playing Labor Day weekend. Um, Pittsburgh is playing uh, West Virginia, I believe, as we speak tonight. Uh, Pittsburgh's a team coming off, you know, the ACC championship game win last year. But just overall in college football, Matt, you know, I don't know where I want to start as far as talking about specific teams or specific matchups yet. But just the, the overwhelming story I guess I want to lead off with is 
I feel like we've had this conversation, you and I, many times when we both, I feel like, look at college football, we enjoy the sport, but it's the lack of parity with the playoff that makes us, you know, sometimes feel like the sport's not what it used to be because you feel like there are only three or four teams that legitimately had a chance to make the playoff. season before we even get here but joe i'm just going to shoot it straight none of this matters right because you know we start a season we already know that the playoff is going to be between a big 10 team and an sec team we know pac 12 is irrelevant right we know the big 10 irrelevant and so it's going to come down to sec versus big 10 so that limits us to ohio state michigan alabama Maybe Florida, possibly LSU with Notre Dame, and then, of course, you factor in the Lane Kiffin effect. I really feel like, Matt, you could narrow it down to, I would venture to say that Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia are virtual locks for the playoff. Like, I would be stunned, really, if all three of those teams don't make the playoff. And so, to me, it's almost trying to pick that fourth contender. You know, is it Clemson? Is it uh, Notre Dame? Is it um, somebody in the Pac-12 trying to flirt with a chance? Probably not realistic since they always seem to have like a two-loss conference champion. So really the only story to me is trying to decide who that fourth team would be. Yeah, and and the thing is, Joe, and and you're not going to like hearing this and understand, don't get mad at me. There are certain teams you can naturally kick out, right? Like Notre Dame with the first-year head coach. Okay, they're not winning a championship, let's be honest. Ole Miss – I'm sorry, not winning a championship, right? Not because they're not good. It's just not what they do, okay? Uh, LSU, not winning a championship. New coach coming from Notre Dame into the SEC, not going to happen. And so you can take that core. You can name three teams that are almost guaranteed to get in, and that fourth team you're talking about, you can literally start picking contenders out and be like, nope, nope, nope and then literally circle one or two, and that's going to make up your fourth team right there. Mm-hmm. And whereas, you know, like people maybe are listening to us and, you know, they hear the criticism we're putting forth, and I want to make the point, you know, that I still enjoy college football. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a fun sport to watch and follow. But at the same time, I feel like the difference between college football and when I look at other collegiate sports and professional sports is you always feel like, the the net is 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 like uh, is cast wider like everybody i don't want to say everybody just has a chance but in college basketball when march madness starts there are usually at least 10 to 15 teams if not more maybe maybe 30 teams that you look at the field and you're like i could see one of those teams making it to the final four through the tournament depending on the draw in college baseball it's like who knows who's going to win you know, who we right. saw at like we saw this year, like any of the 64 teams that make the tournament and with college football, it just does not feel like th- that that is the case at all. And history uh, shows us that it is not. Yeah, I mean, in college basketball, like you said, you could basically legitimately place money on the entire top 25. Now, you can argue stronger for some than others. I hear that and there's always going to be Cinderella's that you don't know about but you could legitimately put a $100 bill on a top 25 team in college basketball, and, and who knows? You may have a shot at, at, at 
them winning a championship. Uh, college baseball, complete roll of the dice. Like, who, who even knows who's going to make it to the College World Series? But, Joe, here's the crazy part, and this is something I'm going to challenge you two uh, because we have this amazing uh, vehicle that is a podcast. Me and you are talking about hanging out uh, this weekend. Here's what I think we should do. We should, this weekend, come to a consensus between us two who the four teams are in the playoffs and then name the two teams in a national title and then who's going to win it. And I bet me and you are going to guess or name at least three out of the four teams, right? And we may actually name all four. I think there's a a very possible chance. And, you know, while you almost want to, you know, confidently brag about it it's like it's just too easy you know you just can't get it wrong it's almost like a multiple choice uh test where like three of the the right ant like three answers are the same thing and they're all three like right answers like anybody's going to have like a 75 percent chance of getting the question right and so i i don't know i mean when i when i appraise the season specifically you know looking at some of these teams I look at Alabama, and there are people saying, you know, and this is scary to think about it, this may be the best team that Nick Saban's ever had, you know, returning Heisman Trophy winning quarterback for the first time and Bryce Young, uh, returning maybe the best defensive player in college football and Will Anderson. I mean, they look loaded. Georgia, to me, is just reloaded coming off the national championship. They have a pretty manageable schedule where it looks like they'll be probably on a collision course to face Alabama again in the SEC championship. Ohio State, Matt, I mean, that team may have a historically good offense this year. I was talking uh, or reading about them recently, and you look at them returning C.J. Stroud, the quarterback who's really good last year. Um, they return great receivers. Um, they, I think they had Marvin Harrison's son as a receiver on the team. Um, they return a great running back in Trey Henderson. I mean, just all around college football, you know, there's a lot of exciting players. But with those three teams, I mean, it just stands out to me. Yeah, and I think therein lies the problem, Joe. Truthfully, it's that, you know, flashback 10 years ago, I think the reason why college football has such a cult-like following, very much like the NFL, is because – you never know who's going to win the national title, right? That's that's always been how it was. Like, you, you came into the season almost like Major League Baseball to a certain extent, believing, thinking, no matter who your team is, no matter what conference they're in, they could win the title. But the problem with college football, and you're really, really starting to see it in the fans, is that's no longer the case. You know if you are in one of the Power Five, if you are not, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, uh, you know, I guess Clemson, Michigan, if you're not one of those top five teams, you have zero, not some, zero percent chance of having a meaningful season, right? No one cares who gets into the Cheez-It Bowl. And so if that's your prognosis, the best you can do is the Cheez-It Bowl, then your season as a fan base, as a team, is, is a failure. And I think – the fans are starting to see that in college football, that there are only five teams or so that can end up with a truly masterful season, and the rest of the, the league doesn't matter. Absolutely, absolutely. And I heard Kirk Herbstreit uh, say this about a year or two ago, um, and I, I kind of want to 
go with the theme that he said because I thought he said it really well. College football was not designed to be a championship or bust sport. Like it's not a sport that works well with having a bracket, especially if you're only going to have a four-team playoff bracket. I mean, there are 120, I think, Division One football teams at least, and you have a playoff that just starts with four. And so basically you have a season where so many teams are disqualified from the start. And because, Matt, I feel like you've had this overemphasis on the playoff the last eight years, it makes what used to be a successful season for a lot of teams largely irrelevant. You know, winning seven or eight games in a group of five conference in a conference championship is no longer celebrated. I mean, players set out of bowl games. Anything short of the playoff is just meaningless because of the emphasis on a, a championship. So, you know, Joe, it, it's amazing to me how we we build up the college football season. And I get it. If we don't build it up in the media, if we don't build it up on podcasts, then no one gets paid, right? The sad part is there is only one story in all of college football. Like, seriously, there's one story that no one talks about, right? And that is how many championships can Nick Saban win? Because the rest of the stories are pure garbage, right? Like, even the Heisman watch doesn't have the same fanfare that it once did, right? As far as the championship, literally, who cares? It is Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, most recently Georgia, but they probably won't be back in it, just handing each other the trophy every year. Oh, it's yours this year. Oh, it's yours this year. Oh, it's ours this year, right? None of that matters anymore. Literally, the only story that matters is you got Nick Saban, He's got five championships or six championships, however many he's got. How many can he win because he's on that Tom Brady-esque level? To me, there's no other story that even matters. It definitely is a story, you know, that uh, justifiably fan bear, but you're right, fan fanfare, but you're right. It really is uh, the only legitimate story just because, you know, you have the focus on uh, on championships in that sport, and it's hard to think about um, anything else. But I do want to ask you, though, um, kind of as we move towards a conclusion on this topic, are you excited about any games this weekend, or will you be uh, tuned in to some, uh, some college football this Labor Day weekend? So the, the only game that no, – no shock here, right? That's, that's what you're going to tell me, and I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not going to go out and win. The only game that really interests me – I haven't looked at the full schedule, but, of course, LSU-Florida State, um, just because – you know, uh, my dad raised me as an avid, I mean, LSU fan, much like you're an Ole Miss fan. I can think about all the years watching the Florida States, the Miamis, and, and ever thinking, man, when is LSU going to play one of those teams? And so in my lifetime, I've never seen LSU play Florida State. Uh, I can't wait to see it. I wish my dad was here to see it. Um, and so that one catches my attention. No, that's certainly a good one. Um, be Sunday nights. It'll be kind of like with its own uh, backdrop and no other uh, competition for ratings between you know those historic uh, programs. And then also speaking of historic programs, we get uh, the intrigue of top five matchup on Saturday night with uh, Notre Dame Ohio State. I think that'll be interesting. Um, I think uh, Georgia Oregon is a great game. I'm uh, really interested to see how Oregon looks. 
Um, Oregon and Utah both, Matt, have uh, two uh, very uh, intriguing matchups against SEC teams. You know, they're carrying the torch for the Pac-12, and you have both of them traveling to the East Coast. You have Georgia and Oregon, I think, playing in Atlanta on Saturday afternoon. And then you – I want to jump in right there. I think Georgia and Oregon is a very important game, right? With the defection of uh, USC, right, moving to the Big Ten or, uh, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, Big Ten uh, or coming soon, whatever it's going to happen. I think Oregon needs to show that it's still relevant. And if Georgia, you know, goes to Oregon or vice versa, whatever, and just pounds on Oregon, that's a really bad sign to the Pac-12. Yeah, that, that would certainly be a, a, a bad indication for them. Um, Oregon does have a former Auburn quarterback, Bo Nix, um, leading the team. He transferred out there. And then uh, Dan Lanning, their new coach, was Georgia's defensive coordinator last year. So that kind of is the intriguing matchup within the matchup. But, I mean, speaking of quarterbacks that have transferred, Matt, I mean, just so many of them have transferred everywhere. Like, it's really hard to keep up with it. But I did want to add, though, that uh, going back to the Pac-12, Utah – um, who's a top five preseason team, I think at number four heading into the season, they have a very interesting matchup at Florida um, to start the season. So that's kind of a, a tough game for them against uh, a Florida team with a new coaching staff. So, you know, some interesting matchups there. Um, you know, lastly, just intriguing teams for me. I'm interested to see how USC looks with uh, Lincoln Riley out there and, and the transfer players that he brought in led by uh, quarterback Caleb Williams. But I think, Matt, the, the two teams I want to end here that I'm intrigued with as much as anybody, and I feel like uh, both of them are not getting uh, as much uh, praise as they deserve, I want to start with Clemson. I know Clemson's a preseason top five team, but I do feel like a lot of people have moved on from them being a contender. And I'm like, well, outside of Alabama, you know, who's won more than them? the last, you know, 10 years. So I just can't, you know, I don't know how Clemson will look this year, but I can't quickly, so quickly remove them from the national conversation, you know, compared to everybody else, relatively speaking. And then staying in state, Matt, the other team that I'm really interested in is South Carolina, oddly enough. And the reason for that is I think that their coach is building a good program, kind of under the radar. And I also think that Spencer Rattler the uh, Oklahoma transfer is a very compelling uh, transfer quarterback. Yeah, and I think he has a lot of answer, uh, questions to answer, right? This was a guy who was the best quarterback in high school. Uh, he was literally walking out of high school, walking to the NFL, and ran into a roadblock in Oklahoma. And so it would be very interesting to see how he recalibrates, refocuses his career, and can he pull it back on track. And gosh knows if he's able to, Okay, maybe South Carolina's got something, right? I think I'll, I'll give you three more games very quickly. I think Ole Miss, they're playing Troy, doesn't matter. But Lane Kiffin, uh, you know I have a lot of faith in Lane Kiffin. I think he could be the answer to Ole Miss trying to vie for a championship. Uh, I, I think he learned a lot under Nick Saban, and it's shown the last few years. They don't have Matt Crowell anymore, but I think – uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how, what team Lane Kiffin builds because I do believe in his ability to bring uh, uh, Ole Miss to a potential championship. I think very quickly uh, Kentucky 
we saw in the last year or two Kentucky's program has gotten very good. Was that a fluke or is it real? Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how they start the season. And then uh, one more I'll throw in there uh, very quickly would be Cincinnati. So Cincinnati, number 23, plays Arkansas, number 19. I think last year Cincinnati was either undefeated or one loss. I can't remember. They really are the last Power 5 hope that we know about right now. Was that a fluke? Or, you know, is there any chance that a Power 5 team can be uh, relevant in the current NCAA football landscape? Yeah, that, that's an intriguing game. I feel like that's a game that's under the radar, that's really a sneaky good with Arkansas uh, bringing back a really good quarterback in K.J. Jefferson. And I think having them, you know, play Cincinnati, uh, who, who made it, you know, to the playoffs last year, and but lost a lot of starters to the NFL. So that that's that's a big, uh, you know, question mark game for both teams. Agreed, absolutely. So yeah, so college football, Matt, you know, starts, uh, you know, tonight. We've got, like I said, Pittsburgh and uh, West Virginia, and we'll have, I'm sure, next week a lot of, uh, you know, stories to react to. And then also we'll be uh, really uh, very close to the NFL season with uh, the Rams and the Bills kicking off next Thursday. Yeah, and then the, the real fun starts, which is NFL football. So, you know, we're back at that perfect time of the year where uh, we get heavy into football, which I know you love, I love. We can really start talking about some interesting food takes, uh, you know, and what to eat during all these games. So really excited for the upcoming season. Oh, absolutely. The only thing I do want to say about that is as excited you know, as I get about the start of football season, I do want to offer the caveat that one thing that does bother me at times, Matt, and I think you'll chuckle when you hear this, is the people that say how, like, oh, I just can't wait for football season. Like, finally, it's football season. Like, I feel like you and I both have a little bit more of a, I don't want to say objective grasp of it, where it's like, okay, it's football season, awesome. But, you know, we're not like just overly ecstatic, you know, like Christmas morning kind of ecstatic. And the reason it frustrates me when I hear people do that is I feel like it's almost um, a slight against the other sports that are played the rest of the year. Like, you know, I'm a basketball fan. I'm a baseball fan. I like other sports. And so I feel like if we say that about football, it acts like the other sports really don't matter. Yeah, I, I mean, look, let, let's, let's not miss words here. I mean, Football is the coup de grace, right? There's no doubt about it. Like football, uh, to me, is the most fascinating. It, it's the one where I feel like everybody has a touch point, whether it be your hometown NFL team or your hometown college team. But man, throughout the year, there's some fantastic sports that go on. I mean, we, we don't even talk about like the Masters. That is an event every year that people look forward to. I know I'll watch every round of the Masters. Uh, uh, Wimbledon, right, is fantastic. Uh, the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, I mean, all these different sporting events that me and you have called throughout the years. I, I, there's so many good sports played year in, year out. But there's no doubt, like, some of the most interesting is going to be that September to February where you're watching football. And I think that one reason there's that narrative about football is it goes back, you know, to what we've talked about before with the theory of the reality television aspect of football. And I also think that what gets football so popular is that it appeals to people that normally wouldn't watch sports like you and me at other parts of the year. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, and here the, the crazy part, Joe, is, and, and I'd actually ask you this question, 
is um, would you give up football for any other, you know, annual sporting event? And I'll give you my answer to that very quickly is I might consider giving up football season for the Masters, right? I love watching the Masters, and it is probably the only event where I would say, okay, I'll give up a year of football just to make sure I get to watch the Masters because I love it that much. No, no, that's actually a great question, and I'll probably surprise a lot of people by saying this, but I, I share that opinion. Um, like, I, I, I could give up football. I could do without football. I feel like a lot easier than most people. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, building off what we're saying, there's so many other sports that I enjoy probably as much, if not more than football, if I'm really being honest. Like, you know, I feel like I probably know the history, for instance, of the NBA and Major League Baseball better than I know the NFL or college football. And I would say that the main reason I embraced football originally as, as, a, as a teenager um, was because so many people emphasized football and I wanted to be able to talk about it amongst friends and family. But as a young kid, you know, my first loves were baseball and basketball. Those were the two sports I played as a kid. And so I could actually, I think, perfectly uh, – be okay if those were the the sports and and I you know I, I embrace tennis I embrace I'm fine with the Masters I know I, I like that fine and you know there, there's a lot of sports that keep me entertained. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. So you know, just kind of a interesting take there, looking at the sports calendar. Like I said, you know, I, I get excited about football. I, I just you know I, I want everybody to be enthusiastic about all the sports and give them all you know their uh, their, their uh, deserved attention. Yeah. I do too. I think, you know, to close it out kind of full circle here, um, I think one of the reasons I can give up something like college football, it's exactly like what we were talking about. It's become too predictable, right? And some of these other events like the Masters, like, uh, you know, Wimbledon, et cetera, et cetera, you just never know. March Madness, you never know who's going to win it. Whereas, you, you know what college football is going to be. And so if if I could trade college football for one of those truly special sporting events where it really is up in the air, you can see anything from Tiger Woods resurgence to uh, the youngest ever Masters tournament winner, I'll take that any day of the week. And another thing that I don't miss when it's not football season is, and you could probably relate to this in the south of the United States, I feel like, you know, when your team loses, other people rub it in so much more for football than they do with any other sport. Yeah, oh, without question. Like, there is no other sport that touches a fan base like football, right? It's like, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's unheard of how personal some people, the crazy part is, me and you don't take anything personal when it comes to sports. Like, I can sit here and tell you how horrible Ole Miss is going to be and, or, or, or Ole Miss and LSU are going to play, and you can brag, you know, after Ole Miss just drugs LSU. Me and you don't take stuff personally, but there are so many people in the South that live and die based upon how their team performs in, in, in football, college, and sometimes the pros. It's crazy. It's pretty, it's obnoxious too, you know, when, when you step back and think about it, you know, sometimes, you know, in the moment you can get enthusiastic for your team. And, you know, I, I'll admit there have been times, you know, I've gotten enthusiastic, but, you know, when you step back, you're like, wow, you know, that was really another level of enthusiasm. It, the, the only parallel there, and, and I have no clue, like, 
let's let's interview a psychologist and figure this out, right? On the on the Hungry Takes podcast, let's bring on some kind of psychologist. The only parallel is Joe. Crazy enough, Little League Baseball, college football, and Little League Baseball, and and parents. That's about the only thing synonymous with like the the crazy you know craziness that fans get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think when in the middle midst of the craziness, people just don't even realize like the level of enthusiasm or the craziness that they have, just because they're in the moment and they're living it. And I think the only way you can really uh, understand it, I guess, is either to talk to a psychologist or step back and objectively look at the situation. Another time I, I notice it, Matt, is if I turn on like a broadcast of like a play-by-play or commentator for another team. And I hear that like bias of enthusiasm. So it's interesting, you know, when you when you step away and uh, step back and, and and look, you know, at at how people, you know, get get so excited about it. It, it really is uh, something. But I guess that's what, on some level, keeps it entertaining. I, I think so. I mean, that that's what kind of brings the joy and satisfaction, as perverse as it may be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Matt, I mean, this has been um, a fun episode tonight. Um, I think that's all I can think about as far as uh, football uh, topics. And then I think we, you know, we had some uh, good perspective on uh, the Donovan Mitchell trade, uh, Serena Williams and the uh, Russell Wilson contract extension. Yeah, I, I mean, no pun intended, Joe. Usually you have the punch, but I feel like we, we kicked off a, a heck of a, a, a good start to football season with tonight's podcast. Yeah, yeah. I think I think information, you know, and perspective, you probably won't hear anywhere else as far as you know some of the opinion, opinions uh, we shared. You know, just trying to keep it um, real with uh, with our takes. Uh, you know, I hope everybody enjoyed it, Matt, and I look forward to to next week. Hopefully, uh, delving into some college football overreactions, and then also uh, getting ready for the NFL season. And yeah, just a reminder: we are going to bring our four potential, uh, or let's call it locks, for. Uh, college football championship uh this year on the next podcast episode and i assume alabama will be on the list uh you know i'm a betting man so i'm gonna say there's at least a 50 50 chance (laughs) definitely well uh great episode matt hope everybody has a great night and we will talk to you soon